0: You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. If you don't know me, my name is Mitchell Neldon. I'm, I'm new here, so uh, forgive me if I, if I seem new and a little bit awkward. That's, just, that's, that's not because I'm new. That's just because of who I am. But uh, moved here beginning of November from Arkansas and, and started a new position here, and I'm very thankful to be here. It's been a, a, a wild six, seven, eight weeks, and, and one of the things that we had to do was pack up all the things that we wanted to bring here, and we put, them in a, we put it in a pot. I don't know if you're familiar. It's just a shipping container, and uh, we, we fit as much stuff as we, as we could, and, and one of the things that was, uh, my, that's weird is that we still own our house in Arkansas, and my mother-in-law moved into that house and she's she's renting from us and and helping us out there, but she had a moving company help her with all of her stuff. And so they got there right as we were wrapping up, us packing away our pods. We tried to get all of our stuff out so her stuff could be moved in. Well, we still had a few things and trying to make wise decision with the last few feet of pod that we had left, and the moving guys were like, hey, we can help you out with that if you tip us really well for helping your mom. Like, okay, well, this sounds good. There was a couple pieces that we knew we needed to make on the pod. Well, we we, uh, opened the pod. They told us I did not see them close the pod finally. And they locked it, and a couple days later, the pod company came and took it away. And I don't know where it went or what all it went through over the next couple weeks, but but it arrived at our rental house a few weeks later, and I opened it. And the thing that I noticed immediately after we struggled to get the door open was that they took my son's mattress and folded it in half and ratcheted it together. And and so anyway, I regret the tip that I gave those guys. Um, And there's some things, you know, as we unpacked. That it's like, man, I thought that we packed this, or I thought I put this in that box, and there's some things that are, that are missing. I don't, raise your hand if, you, if you've ever had that experience where you're like, man, I thought that it was there, and I thought we, so, and then so it's a confusing time because you, you don't know where your stuff's at, and, and there's something that I'm missing in particular that I know was with me uh, in North Carolina because I, I, I wore it, and as, as a balding man, I have a, a collection of hats that's very important to me that I have to make sure that I have in the right rotation. And one of those hats is missing. So if you know where it is, it's blue with a yellow patch on it, if, you, if, you, if you've seen it, please let me know, I'm missing that hat. I'm wondering where is that hat? And I need it desperately, so please let me know if you've seen that hat. It's somewhere here in Raleigh, as far as I know. But um, we have, I have this question ringing through my head of where is that hat, and, and, and some a deeper question, it's not nearly as silly, that you may be wondering this morning, is where is God? Where is God in my life? It may just be a feeling that, that you have. You, you don't feel the presence of God in your life maybe like you did once upon a time. Maybe you're wondering where is God, like where, where is he located? Where does he reside? You know, when I was a kid, uh, we I went to this, this smaller church and, and had some family, went there as well, and, and we would run around the sanctuary and of course, the adults, every time we ran around the sanctuary playing hide-and-go-seek or tag, they would say, hey, don't run in God's house. And I would look around and i say, man, God's, God's got some tacky uh, decor choices here. We need to update. This is God's house. This is, this is not looking good. God does not physically reside in, in a sanctuary of, of a church, you know? And, and so we, you may wonder, well, where does God live? Where does he reside? And today we will seek that answer today because you may be wondering where is God in your life? Maybe it's something that you're going through and you're wondering where is God in the middle of this? Where is his intervention? He may feel far from you today. You may feel like you've made some decisions and that God, you were walking with God, but you've made some decisions and, and now you are far from him and that you, your path and God's path has, has diverted and, 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 and you are far from God. You may feel that way this morning. And that's, that's something that, that we're gonna to try to address and seek the answer of where is God. And we're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter one. And that's gonna be where we start, and it's gonna be our main text. So if you want to flip over there in your Bibles or your, your your Bible app in Matthew chapter twenty or chapter one. I did that, uh, Pastor Dave let me know I said Matthew chapter twenty one. It's Matthew one. We'll start uh, in the right place this time around. And we're gonna be in verse seventeen. Pastor Scott, last week, he was, uh, we're walking backwards, kind of in the Christmas story, and so we are doing a, a part of the story that's before what Pastor Scott talked about last week. In Matthew chapter one, verse 17, I'm gonna skip the first 16 verses. You're welcome because those are the genealogies and nobody's interested in reading that. But verse 17 gives us the importance of those genealogies. It says, thus there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. Fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. And so you have these, these lists of names in the first sixteen verses there. And what if you count them, there'll be fourteen from Abraham to David, and fourteen from David to exile, and fourteen from David, or from exile rather, to Jesus, to the Messiah. It's important because what, what we're going to be looking at today is, is where was God in each one of those times? Where was God in the time of Abraham? If you know any of those Bible stories around Abraham or, or his kid Isaac and his grandkid Jacob, you know that he shows up in different ways. He appears when he, when he wants to. He kind of shows up and, and demonstrates his presence in different ways. One of the things he does with Jacob is he shows up in this physical form and he wrestles with Jacob all night long and and he he actually uh, injures Jacob's hip and so God shows up in that weird way where he wrestles with this human and and he injures Jacob and Jacob has this hip injury for the rest of his life and actually changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, which means wrestles with God. And you see in the Exodus story where he shows up, his presence is demonstrated by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. In Exodus chapter 19, this won't be on the screen, but, but you see Jesus or God's presence show up in this really unique and terrifying way. And verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. That would be me. I would be trembling if I knew that this was happening. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, to go closer to this terrible Thing that they were seeing and hearing and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the fire. The smoke billowed from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. This was a demonstration of the presence of God and it's a scary, scary thing. You read that and it's scary. It's meant to terrify us and and show us how terrifying God can be. And the people that were witnessing this, they were sitting at the foot of that mountain seeing the presence of God being demonstrated by this terrible, terrible uh, demonstration. They are scared. Where was God when David was king? So 14 generations from Abraham to David. So so you have 14 generations, and where was God when David was king? And there was something that was set up at the time of Moses where there was the tabernacle. If you're familiar with this, you know that uh, it was this tent. And in this tent, they set up something called the Holy of Holies, and and it was a demonstration of God's presence at the heart of their camp. And only one guy, the high priest, was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies on one day. And his presence was, was meant to be symbolized by the holy of holies. And David was like, you know what? I don't want God's presence to be represented by a tent. Let's build him something out of brick and mortar. So he did, comes up with this plan. And, and because of some decisions that David had made, God said, you won't build it, but your son will. And so Solomon, he builds this grand temple, and they have this big, huge demonstration of God's presence among his people and the dedication of the temple, but Solomon says this at that ceremony. He says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less than this temple I have built. See, God, he was not contained by this building. He was not contained by that tent. He was not contained by that terrible storm on top of a mountain. He was not contained in human form when he wrestled with Jacob. He definitely was not contained by the sanctuary of my home church in Little Rock, Arkansas. God's presence is is much bigger than that. Then you have 14 generations passed from David into the exile, and what happens in the exile is that God's people the people that, that, that claimed God to be the one true God, they had made some mistakes, they had turned from God, and they were, were in a terrible spot when it came to how they worshiped, and so God, he, he sent them into exile. And we just got done with a series through the book of Daniel where, where you read about the exiles, and one of the exiles named Ezekiel. God gave them this vision, and you see this in Ezekiel chapter one, where God's presence becomes mobile, and it leaves the temple, and he see, Ezekiel is watching this and he sees God's presence go from the temple and then it begins to cover the whole earth. And Ezekiel is wondering what that means and, and just a, a few hundred years later, the temple is destroyed and we read that in 2 Kings chapter 25. And what's, what's meant to symbol God's presence amongst his people is destroyed. The thing that they could look to and say we know that, that God is with us We know that the presence of God is here amongst us. We know because we can look to the temple, we can look to the holy of holies, and be reminded and be comforted that God, the one true God is with us. And here, he is our God and we are his people. That was destroyed. What a terrible, terrible thing. And you may be in a situation in your life where the things that have reminded you of God's presence, the things that you look to and say, I know that God is with me because of this. I know that God is with me because my grandfather t- told me about the Bible. He taught me the Bible. He, he is, he's the one that I can look to and be reminded that, that God loves me and that he sent Jesus to die for me. I'm, I'm reminded of that. And, and he, may, he may have passed away several years ago. You may feel like, oh, the, the thing that reminded me of God's presence is now gone your life may have been uprooted because of job situations and, and because of the comfort and because of the life that God has blessed you with, everything's changed and turned upside down and this feeling of God's presence that may have always been there is now gone. The things that have reminded you about God's presence in your life have completely changed and you no longer feel like God is with you. You see, God's house is not the temple God's house was, God's presence was not necessarily contained in the storm, it was, it was something that is transcendent, God's presence is transcendent, and that definition is on the screen, it's very important because uh, I got a text this morning, somebody watching it online, said, great use of big words, well, I'm from Arkansas, so you know, I gotta I got look up these words, right, I gotta look up the pronunciation, transcendent beyond or above the range of normal or merely physical human experience. Because of our humanity, because of our tiny brains, we are confined to just a normal human experience. And the presence of God is above all of that. God is so big and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God can't undo. He's transcendent above everything. He's eternal. Before anything existed, God existed. He exists not only, but before anything existed, but He exists outside of our reality. I can't can't even begin to think about that before my head starts to hurt. You know, He exists outside of everything that we experience. He's all powerful, and it's because of His power He created our reality. He's all knowing, He knows everything. It's impossible for us to understand the entirety and the expanse of his presence. Not only that, but he's free from failure. He's incorruptible. He's infinite. Another word to, 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 to label that as is that God is holy, which means set apart, or wholly unique, different from everything else, In existence, and He is far, far above us. So the question becomes, well, if if the temple is destroyed and God's presence wasn't even contained in the temple, there's 14 generations, and let's keep with that timeline of Abraham to David, David to the exile, exile to the Messiah, right? That's where we are in Matthew chapter one. The Messiah is about to show up. The Christmas story is about to be told and witnessed for the first time. And where was God in this moment? Where was God in Matthew chapter 21? Well, for 400 years, there were no prophets, There were no real kings. There was King Herod like Pastor Scott talked about last week. He wasn't a real king of Israel. He desperately wanted to be, but he wasn't. They wanted to hear from God. They wanted God's presence to be demonstrated. They had rebuilt the temple, but it still wasn't quite the thing that they had hoped it would be. And they were still wanting the, uh, the kingdom from a thousand years before this to be restored and then to have the glory of David's Israel ruling and reigning and being the, the, the kingdom that God promised them they would be. They were hungry and thirsty for the presence of God to show up in a certain way. And they wanted the Messiah to arrive, and they, they wanted him to be political. They wanted him to, to, to kick out the Roman occupiers, and they wanted to establish their own independence. And they wanted God's presence to show up in a very specific way and wanted specific things to happen so that they could be reminded of God's presence among them. Maybe you, you feel like God's presence is far from you, and you're wondering, where, where is God? Where is he? and you're looking for him to show up and demonstrate his presence in your life in specific ways, that you're wanting him to radically change this, you're wanting to, for him to do that, and yet, he's not doing those things. You're wondering, where is God? That's what these people were saying. They're saying, where is God? We want him to show up, and, and we know the story probably, right? We, we know how God shows up as the Messiah. We know how his presence is demonstrated. In verse 18, we go back to Matthew chapter one. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the one that they had waited so long for, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they had sexual relations, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. God shows up as the Messiah. He shows up as the one that's supposed to restore the kingdom of Israel to its former glory. And the way that he shows up, and the way that God decides to demonstrate his presence amongst his people, is he shows up as a fetus of an unwed mother. What a weird way to show up, right? What a strange way to demonstrate your presence amongst God. What a weird way to fulfill scripture. What a weird way to, to, to take what was promised for, for hundreds of years and people are waiting for over literally over a thousand years, waiting for their kingdom to be restored and he shows up and he's the most vulnerable thing you can imagine, The God who's transcendent. He's above all things. Everything that's in existence, he created. He's so holy and set apart, and yet he shows up, and he's this unborn child. It says, in verse 18, it says that she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I don't really know exactly what that means. Pastor Scott can answer that question more thoroughly. But Paul writes about this question in Colossians chapter one, verse 15 through 19, he, he describes who Jesus is and, and, the, and what this means for Mary to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It says, the son, or he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body of the church and he is the beginning of the, and the firstborn from among the dead so that everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus, he's the son of God. He was in Mary's womb, Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit because because the fullness of God was dwelling within this unborn child. He is fully human, but also transcendent God. Somehow God set aside all his transcendence, and he set aside that in favor of becoming this little tiny helpless child. Say helpless in quotes, please don't write me emails about my heresy. Helpless in quotes to demonstrate that he is becoming a human, fully human, going to experience all of temptation, and so that God is transcendent, right? But transcendent God shows up as Jesus, placed in the womb of Mary, a precious, unborn, vulnerable child. You may know that, Joseph doesn't know that. So at this point in the story, Joseph, all he knows is that Mary is is pregnant and the baby isn't his, right? He knows that his, his fiance, one that he has not had sex with yet, is pregnant and it's not his. And he's not planning this, right? He did not plan for this to happen. We, we made a lot of plans. I mean, Carrie and I, when we were, we were planning for our, our wedding, we made a lot of plans and we took a lot of things into consideration of what could happen and about our future together. One of the things that I did not plan for also didn't happen, I should, uh, I'll say that early on. Also did not happen was for her to be pregnant with somebody else's child. So Moses, or Moses, Joseph, he's, he's looking at his fiance and he's thinking, how could this happen? This wasn't part of the plan. I didn't, I didn't take this into consideration. And so verse 19, we see his reaction. He says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he loved God, he loved God's law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, He had a mind to divorce her quietly. So he had this compassionate heart towards Mary, but also was wanting to do the right thing. So he decided, let's just divorce quietly, and we will go our separate ways. And he had to be wondering, he had to be wondering where was God in this? And his faithfulness, and his planning, and his dedication to God. He had to be wondering where was God in all this? How could this happen? How could he try his best and do all the right things and yet the future that he imagined with his future wife was was taken from him? Where was God in that? Well, God's presence is made clear to Joseph in verse 20. He says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this was a prophecy given to Isaiah, in, the, in, the, in anticipating the exile. And Isaiah's is told us and he says, let the people know that, that that bad things are gonna happen, but one day there's gonna become this child that's gonna show up, and you will call him Emmanuel because he is gonna be God with you. And this is fulfilled in the Messiah, in Jesus. And he, he, Joseph is, is, is led and being made known to him that this is the Messiah that is in his fiance's belly, that this child isn't his, but it is the Messiah that's been foretold, and that he will be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And something that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, we're gonna dig into a little bit this morning, is that through Jesus, God's presence became imminent. This is a confusing word because there's several different words that sound just like it, especially with the southern accent. Imminent means existing or operating within. It's inherent. Emmanuel, you have L, that last, those last two letters of, of that name, L, which means God. So if you, have two, if you have E-L in your name, if your name is Samuel or Gabriel or Mitchell or Michael, your name has God written in it. And what he is saying here through prophecy, through Isaiah, is that there will be a virgin that conceives and will give birth to a son, and they will call him God that is imminent. Emanuel. Transcendent God that existed before everything is holy, that's, that's set apart from everything else, that's different than anything else, that's almighty and all knowing. He will come and live with us, that he will have that normal range of human experience that he will become imminent, that he will take transcendence and set it aside and put on flesh and be fully human somehow. You will call him Emmanuel, and not only that, but you will name him Jesus, which means rescuer or salvation, because he will save the people from their sins. And Joseph was let in on a little secret that the people were looking to the Messianic prophecies, looking for political, governmental, heritage, savior, Messiah. But what the angel of the Lord let Joseph know was that Jesus was a rescuer, not from occupation of a foreign government, but a rescuer of a thing that nobody can do anything about, and that's our sin, that his presence his transcendence will be brought right to us in the form of Jesus as, as a guy who is fully God, but somehow he's fully man. Somehow God that, that, that cannot experience the human existence, because He's so transcendent, so far above us, so far from sin, and for somehow will step right into the human experience and be tempted just like we're, like just like we experience. He will experience hunger just like we have. In Luke 2:52, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature. Somehow almighty transcendent God grew in wisdom. Through Jesus, God becomes imminent. And God's presence is demonstrated demonstrated to us in a way that's completely different than ever before in history. What we need to take from this is that transcendence is is something that's outside of our normal range of, of, of human experience, right? is something that's impossible for us to grab a hold of. It's impossible for us to really wrap our minds around it or wrap our lives around it. But that's what your life was meant for. God created you to live a transcendent life. But because of, of your mistakes, because of your sin, because of the thing that's built into to your human experience. The normal human experience is you struggling and you wanting to do the right things, but you failing over and over and over again. That's the human experience, that's normal. And what God has created you for was for you to experience something greater than that, something that overcomes that sinful nature, something that overcomes the normal human experience. And for you to transcend that, but Without Jesus, it's impossible for us to experience that you need God's transcendence in your life. Without God's transcendence, you will struggle to enjoy good times. Think about that. Have you ever had a good time? Pastor Scott last week talked about Deion Sanders. They had everything, all of his dreams had come true. The plan was not only coming together, but it had already happened, and he was in the prime pardon the pun, of his life and he desired to end it all. Without God's transcendence in your life, you will struggle to enjoy good times. Without God's God's transcendence, you will struggle to endure the hard times. Both of those are coming. If you're having a hard time, better times are coming. If you're having a good time right now, hard times are coming. And either way, without God's transcendence, you will struggle through those times in your life. You will struggle with the normal every day when nothing's that good or nothing's that bad. You will struggle. You need God's transcendence in your life. That struggle for you in the good times and bad times and every time in between is pointing to your need for something bigger than yourself, right? You probably feel, if you're a father, you probably at different times have felt like a failure as a father, If you're employed, your boss has probably let you know that you failed as an employee from time to time, right? If you have money, you've probably struggled and failed financially at some point in your life. And you will struggle throughout your life with different things, and this may be going good, and that may be going bad, and things will rearrange, your life will look different from season to season. But you're gonna struggle, and you need God's transcendent as a parent As a child, as an employee, as a human being, God's transcendence is something you need every single moment of your life. And that's only found in one place. God's transcendence is only imminent through one avenue. God has made his transcendent presence imminent to us through Jesus. And at the time of Matthew chapter, uh, chapter one, I'm gonna say 21 again, where is God in that? He's in Mary's womb. God has made his presence, and, and, and through the Holy Spirit, Mary has become pregnant, and, and God has, has become human inside Mary's womb, and he is subject to all the things that, that humans are subject to, and he's born, and where is he born? He's born into this stable, right? And there's three wise men, right? only three wise men. right? That's a joke from last week. There were, oh no, there were a thousand wise men. Maybe there was only a two. I don't, I don't know. But he's in the stable. And God, somehow transcendent God is born into a barnyard. And then he grows in Luke 2.52. He grows up in, in wisdom and stature. And he experiences uh, teenagedom. He experiences puberty. He experiences all these different things that, that we experience as we grow up. He begins to teach and begin to minister to people. He begins to to call people to follow him and God is there and the fullness of God is dwelling in this man. He is fully God and fully human and and God's presence is there in him and he's he's experiencing all these different things and doing all these different things but then one day he's arrested and fully God, fully man, transcendent God has become imminent through Jesus He's arrested. And God is put on a cross and punished for where we fall short. A transcendent God, who didn't have to, stopped living. A human experience was put into a grave. The most human thing of, of anything that we all experience is, is, is going to be death. And he experiences that himself as transcendent God, imminent through the person of Jesus. And, and Jesus, being fully God, is, is, is dead and put in a tomb. Where's God in that moment? Praise God, he's conquering our sin and our death on that Saturday. And on Sunday morning, he is resurrected. And where is God when he's resurrected? He's in the person of Jesus, ruling and reigning over sin and death. And he invites his followers to learn more about the kingdom of heaven in those 40 days. Then after those 40 days, where is God then? The person of Jesus, who's fully God, is about to ascend into heaven. And he tells his followers, he says, hey, I'm going away. But I'm going to send you something that's going to help you do what I'm asking you to do. And he gives his followers the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, he tells them, you will be my witnesses. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the prophecy of Ezekiel will be fulfilled. And because of you taking the gospel and because of you taking the Holy Spirit that's gonna live within you because of your faith in me, the presence of God is gonna cover the whole earth. And because of those men being obedient to that, we are here today worshiping the same God that wrestled with Jacob. We're experiencing and worshiping the same God that created the heavens and the earth. God's presence was fully in Jesus and he gives us this promise of the Holy Spirit and he says that you will now be my temple. Paul writes about this to to the church at Corinth. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. He writes a letter later in that same letter. He says, "Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, so therefore do not get tattoos." He doesn't say that, by the way. He's saying that this, this representation of my presence here on earth, the, the temple, the tabernacle, the storm on top of, the, of Mount Sinai, those things were representations. Well, the very presence that those were just representing, the my presence through the power of the Holy Spirit is going to live within anyone who believes in Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, God's presence is in all who believe in Jesus. That's your faith, your dependence, your trust, and the work of God, man, Jesus, in his perfect life, his transcendent human life, and his death on the cross, a sinner's death, a failure's death, is meant to pay for our failure. You trust in that, and you believe in that, and you trust in the resurrection that Jesus came back to life conquering your sin and your death. God's presence through the power of the Holy Spirit lives within you. Wouldn't you know that the world here in 2023, I don't know how many generations it's been from Messiah to now. But the world now, as much as ever, needs the presence of God in it. I don't know why. But Jesus' last words to his followers before he ascended into heaven, before the, the transcendent God that became imminent man transcended into heaven, he says, I'm going away, but you are now gonna be God's presence on the earth. That he chooses us to put his presence on display to the whole world. And it's up to our obedience of whether or not we are going to participate in that plan, whether or not we are going to participate and fulfill Ezekiel's vision of God's presence covering the whole earth. He's going to do it with or without you, but he's inviting you to take a hold of that privilege, of that responsibility, of that purpose that you were born for, to be God's presence here on earth to demonstrate his goodness and his love and his mercy and the good news that you are a sinner in need of a savior and he came as that savior to pull you out of. Of where you fall short so you can transcend above all the things that you struggle with and the failure and sin that condemns you. He paid all of that through Jesus. And the barrier of entry is you letting go of that and depending on Jesus. And through that faith, through that dependence, his presence lives within you. And what Paul says is that you become God's temple and that us together, working together as God's body, can take and fulfill the great commission that he gave to his followers 2,000 years ago. The world needs God's presence. The world needs his transcendence. It's struggling. The world is struggling to overcome all the things that are just built into our reality because of where we fall short. It's really struggling with that. It needs to transcend and be better. And the only way for humans to do better and to transcend our normal human experience is to grab a hold of the imminent God in Jesus and to live our life pursuing that standard that Jesus set and made so accessible through us in his life, death, and resurrection. In Acts chapter 17, we see something that is, uh, should be relatable to us, in that he's speaking to the Greeks, he's speaking to the Athenians, and Paul, he, he, he talked to a bunch of different cultures through the course of his ministry, but in Acts 17, he's speaking to some guys that love to talk about different philosophies, and, and, and he loved to, these guys love to just uh, pontificate on different things. And one of the things that they loved to think about was was the existence of God. And and Paul, he sees all these different uh, dedications to different gods set up in this one area in this one one building. and, And he sees this unknown God that they set up. And he's like, here's a perfect opportunity to talk about God and talk about Jesus. And he says this to them in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. Though he is not far from any one of us. The audience of, of this speech, of Paul's words, were a people that were far from God. They didn't believe in God. They, they didn't know anything about Jesus. They didn't know anything about the, the, the Messiah and Abraham and all that. They, they were people that loved to think about all the different possibilities, yet there was this one possibility that they did not think about that this God that created everything, this transcendent big God that was bigger than anything that they could think about or imagine had become a man, that had stepped into a normal human experience. And he did that because he loves you and me. And he did that because he didn't want to be far. He didn't want people to feel far from him. He did that because he wanted his presence to feel close, to be close. And Paul says to reach out and to search for him and you will find he's not far from any one of us. You may feel like God is a thousand miles away. You've made some decisions or you're experiencing some things that that are not a result of your decisions and and things feel out of control and you feel like, where where is God in this moment, in this season? Where is God? What he did was he sent Jesus to demonstrate how much he loves you and how much he wants to draw near to you. And if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him, because of that faith, his presence indwells you. Because of Jesus, God is Close. He is close. If you believe in him, he lives within you. But if you don't, God is close. He's right there. The only thing that's separating from you and this transcendent God, the only thing that's separating you is you not letting go and trusting in him and believing in him. And we hold on to those crazy things that provide us comfort. We we hold on to those things that we know don't make sense, but but we hold on to our logic. We hold on to our comfort. We hold on to, to the way that life is now. And we know that we need something greater. We know we need some transcendence. We know we need to do better, but we hold on to it. We don't trust, we don't depend, we don't have faith. If you don't believe in Jesus, I invite you to let go. Allow the transcendence of the Holy Spirit to enter into your life. For you to become the person that God created you to be. You're gonna struggle, but God won't leave you through that struggle. You're going to have some doubts. It's not all going to be a great future for you, but God is going to be with you every single step of the way. You're going to look to God's people. You're going to look to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're going to look to his word, and it's going to minister to you and meet you right where you're at. No matter where you are, if you are a believer, God lives within you, and he's close, closer than than we can ever imagine. If you're not a believer, God is still close, and he's just waiting on you to let go, knocking on the door of your heart for you to let go have faith and let them in. Once you do that this morning, once you trust him, once you believe in him, let me pray for you. God, I thank you for your word, for what this time of year means. I thank you so much for your transcendence and your power. But I thank you for being close. Thank you for sending Jesus and letting us know how much you love us because of the life that Jesus lived, because of the death that he experienced. I thank you for your transcendence and overcoming our sin, overcoming death. I thank you for the life, the eternal life that you offer us through Jesus. I just pray that for the people that, that don't believe in, in this room that that Here and now is is a time where they let go of whatever they're holding on to and they believe and trust and depend on what you've done for us through Jesus. Thank you so much for loving us, not being far away, but being close. I pray that no matter what we're experiencing, no matter our feelings, we trust in that truth. We trust in your presence, and we take that, the power of the Holy Spirit within all who believe, and we take that and use that power to fulfill the the purposes that you've created us to fulfill and to put your presence on display to the world. Thank you for that privilege and that purpose. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.